I'd invite you to open your Bible with me to Ruth chapter 4. Today we're going to consider Ruth chapter 4, verse uh, 11 to verse 12. I've been uh, quite provoked recently by a very simple idea uh, from Scripture, uh, a biblical truth. Um, what God has done before, he can surely do again. What God has done before, he can surely do again. I've been reading a biography, autobiography, um, one of the most important books in all of Christian history, one of the most important books actually of all of Western civilization. It's called um, Confessions by St. Augustine. Confessions by St. Augustine is the autobiography of this um, old saint and the life that he lived uh, leading up to conversion to Christianity. And in his younger years, St. Augustine lived like anything but a saint. As a middle school boy, maybe like some of the middle school boys in the room here today, um, he found his fun in the thrill of stealing things with his friends. He didn't need the utility from that thing. He just liked his friends, his hobbies. The thing they did was the thrill of stealing. Kind of got worse as he grew up into other things. He started living a pretty sexually promiscuous life. Um, one day his dad caught him leaving a brothel. And his dad pretty much gave him a high five and said, now you're a man. Not a really good example of a dad. Mom was a good example, though. Mom was at home praying for him the whole time, praying for him. But even while mom was praying for him, he kept going from bad to worse. I think all of these things kind of just increased. And he got into his young adult years. He got a mistress. He joined a cult. He was career-driven and wanted to be a public speaker. Got pretty good at what he was doing. And he wanted to learn how he could get better. So he went to Milan to hear from a famous Christian preacher named uh, Bishop Ambrose. Not because he wanted to learn the biblical truth from this Christian speaker, but because he wanted to learn the oratory communication skills of this renowned preacher. But in the process, he heard the message of sin and a savior. Not too long after that, he had this voice in his head that, kept saying, uh, pick up and read, pick up and read. And he thought that was an indication that he needed to open up the Bible and read. And he opened it up to Romans 14. And the scriptures finally opened up his eyes and a light was turned on. And he realized in that moment that his whole life he had been living in darkness. What God has done before, he can do again. Uh, Augustine wasn't too far from God's grace. Augustine wasn't too far from God. And neither are you. We've been studying this story of the family of Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. How Naomi left with Elimelech and her two sons, Malon and Chilion, from their homeland in Bethlehem because of a famine and went to a foreign land in Moab. And she went to Moab just so they could eat. But then her husband died. And then her two sons married, but for ten years they couldn't produce children to keep the family line going. And then her sons both died. And now Naomi was left with two widow dependents who she couldn't care for. And I wonder if she ever asked this question. Maybe a question that you asked before. Am I too far gone from God? Maybe that's a question you ask of yourself. Maybe that's a question you've asked of your kids. Am I too far gone from God? 
But today in the story, we're going to see that someone steps in and makes things right. You see, eventually, Naomi went back with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to the hometown, and God sent a redeemer to step in and make things right. The redeemer was the closest family member who had the social responsibility to step in and help a, a financially burdened family and marry a widow to, if they didn't have any children to keep the family line going so that their inheritance in the land that God promised them, their share of property, which was their inheritance promised by God, wouldn't be lost, wouldn't be cut off. The family line could keep going, the family name could be remembered, and their inheritance wouldn't be gone, and they would never be too far gone. And today we're going to see the Redeemer step in and bring them back. And today I want to answer this question that you might have been asking about yourself from this story. Am I too far gone from God? And the answer that we're going to find is no. No, you're not. No one is too far from God's redeeming power. So if you have a family member that you, you, you've stopped praying for, I hope today that you'll be encouraged to start praying for them again. Or if you know you've been on a trajectory that is so distant from the Lord, I'm praying that the knowledge of his redeeming power would draw you back to him today. So as we do, would we stand together to honor God as we read his word? Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 12. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to a relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my, impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I, I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, and the name of, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your offspring be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. You may be seated. I want to answer this question, am I too far gone from God? By giving you two reasons why no, 
No, no one is too far from God's redeeming power. Two reasons why no one is too far from God's redeeming power. But before I show you these, I want to take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we need you to speak to us. We need you to divinely lift us up so that we might come back to you, so that we might keep praying for our family, Lord. Father, show us the might of your power. Show us the security and the blessing we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two reasons why no one is too far from God's redeeming power. The first one is this. Um, you are not cut off from God. You are secure in Christ. You see, the, the fear that Naomi's family had was if there was no child, if the family line died, then their share of ownership in the land that God promised, their inheritance that God promised, couldn't be maintained and some other family would take it. But God promised that every family would have a share in the promised land. So the fear was that our family name and our inheritance could be annihilated. But Boaz really had an eye for Ruth and really wanted to marry her. And he really cared for Naomi, his relative, and really wanted to help them and really wanted to restore the family name. But he knew that the right to redeem the family went to the first closest family member, and that wasn't him. He was second in line. So he went to find the first in line to negotiate an exchange of rights so that he could do the job of a redeemer, step in, and help this family. So what he did is he went to the gate. If you wanted to find someone, best bet was go to the gate of the city. You see, ancient cities were different than cities of our time. Ancient cities were walled around the perimeter. But in order to get into the city, you needed a gate. So just like everyone funnels down like the 401 or the 404 to get into the city uh, of Toronto, in the ancient times, to get into Bethlehem, everyone would funnel through the gate. So good bet you're going to find someone there. And because everyone would gather around the gate and go through the gate, it was a natural place for like community activities to happen. The gate in ancient towns was also like a community bulletin board. It was the civic center. It was also, most importantly, a marketplace and a courthouse. See, Boaz gathered ten elders of the city because the elders were the governing class in ancient times. And in order to have the right to redeem and purchase this deceased member's property, he needed the governing class to be able to ratify this in a legal way. In our time, like if uh, you got a grandparent who passes away, maybe the kids need to settle the estate so they hire like an estate lawyer or family law. And you got to figure out, is there a will? Uh, do, do we have to take care of some of the kids? What do we do with the debt? And it's all like written down in paper and the lawyer like notarizes it and makes it legal. Back in their times, they didn't have legal documents written down. Their legal notarization was orally communicated and they needed witnesses to ratify that and confirm that it actually happened. So this guy has first right before Boaz. Boaz wants it, so he goes and negotiates. And the way Boaz negotiates is very clever. Because he, he's got a thing for Ruth. And he really wants to marry her. And he loves his extended family and wants to help their family name continue. He wants to care for Naomi, who's a, who's a widow. But he knows he needs to do it the right way. He can't just step ahead of this other guy. He needs to do it in the legal way. So he cleverly negotiates in a way that will reveal this guy's true motives 
of whether he actually wants to help in a way that's godly. And then he kind of like gives a short jab to show him that ah, your motives aren't too pure. And the guy hands it over of his own intent. It's really clever. And the cleverness is seen in the audience that Boaz gathers to be able to notarize this legal activity. You don't need ten elders. The law really stipulates in order for witnesses to be ratify something legally, you need two, maybe three. Why ten? Well, likely because Boaz just wanted to put some peer pressure on this guy. With more people, has more pressure to reveal what your true motive is actually in there. Would he do it for godly reasons? Would he do it for ungodly reasons? And then the tactic of negotiation in which he revealed the information of what was for purchase, what was could be redeemed, was also very clever. Because at first, he doesn't say anything about Naomi or Ruth or marrying Ruth to allow a child to continue the family name. He just talks about the land that's available. Look at that in verse 3. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to a relative of Limelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it. In the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. Why doesn't he mention anything about Ruth and marrying her and having a child with her at first? Because he wants to reveal whether or not this guy has good motives. And at first he's just like, yeah, I'll redeem it. Cool. Because just buying property was like a, a good investment, a huge investment, probably didn't cost that much. It would add to his property so that he could give more to his kids and their inheritance. And while he had it before he gave it, he would have more profit that would be yielded from the agriculture on that property. He's like, big win. I'm in. Sign me up. But then Boaz cleverly reveals the, the necessary condition of buying it. Look at it there in verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then he has this, like, change of mind, verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Why did he change his mind? Because what he thought was at first a good investment, when he hears about marrying Ruth, ends up being a huge financial cost and risk. Wait, and I have, to, I, have, I have to marry Ruth and produce a child with her? Ooh, that's, that's going to be more mouths to feed. That's a big cost. When oh, she's got a mother-in-law who's a widow, Naomi, and I have to provide for her too? Ooh, that's another big cost. And wait, I need to have a child with Ruth, and he's going to keep Elimelech's family name going, so really, I'm only holding this land in trust for him until he becomes an adult, and then I need to give the property back to him, and I don't get it anyway at all? I, I get nothing out of this deal. And this is going to drain all of my income. So then he says, like, I can't do it. Maybe it was actually thought about the calculations, and it was just like, I just can't afford this. And in that, we realize that he's only in it for his own self-interest. See, the law required the Redeemer to step in out of love for their family so that what God promised to them would not be cut off. But this guy wasn't in it for the love of his family. He was in it for his own self-interest. And he was so self-interested 
that he's not even worthy of being given a name in remembrance. Notice how he's not given a name. This is really important. Verse 1, Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. Now, these two people are close relatives. It's not like, it would be really awkward if you go to Christmas dinner in a couple weeks, and you see your cousin, and you forget his name, and you're just like, hey, cousin. He, doesn't, he hasn't forgotten his name. The author is intentionally hiding his name for a purpose. There is a real Hebrew word for friend, but the Hebrew word the author uses in the original language here isn't the Hebrew word for friend. The word he uses is actually two words, almoni poloni. Notice how they kind of rhyme, almoni poloni. It's actually a term designated when you want to share general information but don't want the specifics of that information. Like, I went to such and such a place. The actual best translation for the original word friend here is Mr. So-and-so, Almoni Poloni. The, the reason is you are so selfish that you are only in it for your own advantage and you're not willing to help your family member's name be remembered. You're not worthy of remembrance. You don't get a name. But Boaz, on the other hand, now he's in it for the right reasons. Look, look what he says when he uh, purchases the land and they have this transaction. Apparently, like in ancient times in Israel, like the equivalent of a handshake was like, here, take my sandal. It was kind of this like token, like I'm giving you this other piece of property, but here's like a token that I'll give you that by this. So there's this weird sandal exchange. It's ratified. And then, then, uh, then um, our friend Boaz tells what his motivation is. Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Malon and Chilion. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Why? To perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. This is important here. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Uh, this, is, this is fascinating. What the redemption actually does for the family line. Where were they when they made this transaction? They were at the gate. Who were they with the, at the gate? They were with their brothers, their family members. And bo- wh- where were Malon and Chilion and Elimelech? They were in the ground. But Boaz is saying, because he's redeeming this family, and will allow a child to be born to, to keep the family line going. Even though these three men are dead, they're still, it's like they're still there with them at their gate with their brothers. Not even death could cut off their family from the inheritance that God promised. Because the Redeemer stepped in. Because he wasn't in it for his self-interest. Because he willingly paid the cost. Does anyone hear Jesus' name ringing in the background of these themes? Jesus stepped in in our brokenness. Jesus stepped in and paid the cost for our redemption with the price of his own life. And if you have received Jesus Christ by faith for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been promised an inheritance of eternal life and have the blessing of abundant life in Christ now. And in Christ... Because he paid that price. 
Nothing can cut you off from all of what God promised. Am I too far gone from God? No. You are not cut off. You are secured in Christ. But you might not feel that right now. You might feel very cut off. You might feel very far off from God. You might feel that your, your own failures distances you too far from God where you're beyond his reach. Maybe you've lost a family member or maybe you have a lifelong disability or maybe you've got some serious doubts and anxieties and fears or maybe some devastating trials and you just feel like if God's arm has a reach, I'm too far beyond it. That's not true. Even if you don't feel it. Even if you feel that way. It's not true. Though you may feel far from God, God is never far from those who are his own people. So if you are in Christ, but you feel this way, I, I would beg you, brothers, I would beg you, sisters, turn back to him. He has not left you. He's been with you this whole time, and he's been waiting for you to come home. He's been looking for you. And he's ready to rejoice when you turn back. Jesus is like the shepherd who has a flock of 100 sheep, but one goes missing. And he's the only shepherd to protect these sheep, but he's still going to go after the one. No, don't go after the one. You got 99. 1% loss isn't that bad. And if you go, the wolves might, take, might eat more of the sheep. It just, it's, 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 a, it's a risk that's worth losing. Not in God's eyes. He's going to go after the one. He's going to go after you. Or like, like an older woman who doesn't have a lot of income left and still keeps a lot of change and is pinching every penny. But all of a sudden, one of the pennies from her jar goes missing. And she knows it because she has accurate talent because she doesn't have a lot of money and one penny goes missing. She goes looking for it. But all of her kids are like, Grandma, just the pennies aren't even in circulation anymore. Why are you spending so much time finding it? Just leave it. But she knows that she doesn't have much, and, but, and this one has enough value. I'm going to look until I find it, and when I find it, I'm going to rejoice. You're not, you don't need to be the one that got away. God is ready to rejoice that you're coming home. Come back to him. And if you've never believed on Christ... Believe that he paid the penalty. He died in your place so that you would never have to face the penalty of death in hell. He suffered in your place so that you could be saved. The price for our redemption cost Jesus his own life. And he paid it willingly in love. Believe on him today and you will be welcomed in as a child. And you will be given the promise of eternal life. And because of his redemption, you will never be cut off. You are secure in him. Are you too far from God? No. No, you're not. You're not cut off. You're secure in Christ. There's a second reason, too, from this text. You're not cut off, but also this. You're not hopeless. You're not hopeless. You are blessed in Christ. You see, redemption brings us out of our debt, out of our suffering, out of our sin, and into a right relationship with God. 
But the blessing of redemption, the blessing of the gospel, then not just takes us out of our sin, but propels us forward into the blessings of grace that are beyond what we could imagine. And that's what happened for Ruth and Boaz, too. See, after Boaz officially redeems Ruth and all that belonged to Elimelech and his sons. Then the elders of the city ratified the decision by saying that they're witnesses and they've seen what happened. And then the elders kind of take the hat of judicial official off and put on the hat of like pastor and offer them an encouraging prayer of blessing. Four blessings that we see in this. The first two are a gracious blessing that they offered for Ruth. Look at verse 11. Then all, the gate who were wi- uh, then all the people and all who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who built up the house of Israel. Two, two unique blessings in this prayer. The first one is the blessing of equality. May the Lord make the woman, could also be translated wife, who is coming into your house. Ruth was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. She didn't deserve the blessings of being a citizen. But when she decided that she would leave Moab and follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Bethlehem, she committed her life in loyalty to Naomi and entrusted her life to the Lord. She said, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. So she already committed to follow the Lord in the land of Israel, but now she's in the land of Israel, and all the people of Israel say, you have a part with us. You are one of our people. As a wife of an Israelite, you now have equal standing in the community of faith. Not only was she offered a blessing of equality, but also the blessing of children. Fruitful, abundant living back in that context. Not so much in uh, our context today, but uh, Ruth's sense of self-worth would have been very connected to her ability to bear children. And she had been married for 10 years before she became a widow, and she hadn't been able to bear children. But now they prayed that she would bear children in such a way that was compared to two other fruitful women, Rachel and Leah. The sons of Rachel and Leah became the first fathers of what would be the 12 tribes of Israel. And God promised that the descendants of these 12 tribes would be so plentiful that they'd be as innumerable as the stars in the sky. And they prayed that she would be so fruitful in that way as well. They prayed for a blessing of equality, a blessing of fruitfulness through children. Also, they prayed a blessing for Boaz. They prayed the blessing of honor. Increased honor to an already honorable man. Look at verse 11, halfway through. May you, Boaz, act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Ephrathah was the clan that he was a part of, a group of families as a clan. And Bethlehem was the city that they lived in. He was already a worthy man in the city and recognized as such. But they prayed for increased honor and increased worthiness in what he already has. And being a worthy man in that context meant two things. Number one, wealth. Number two, reputation. But a truly worthy and honorable man knows that one is greater than the other. Which one? Well, Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. He was already a man of a worthy name, and they prayed that that would increase. The last blessing was the 
blessing for the family. And here they prayed for the gracious blessing of a worthy legacy. Look at verse 12 with me. And may your house, the family, be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Judah was of the 12 tribes of Israel, probably the most well-known tribe. And the first house, the first family of the tribe of Judah was the house of Perez. And the children of Perez would grow and expand to become the well-known tribe of Judah. But it's a remarkable thing that such a well-known tribe would be attached to a name like Perez and that Perez would be a name of worthy legacy because Perez was actually born out of scandal. But it is a grace of God that God, he could take a scandal and give it a worthy legacy. See, Perez was born from his father Judah um, by a woman who dressed up as a prostitute. That probably wasn't a good thing for Judah did to do, but that's how Perez was born. Yet still, out of that scandal, the grace of the Lord still allowed his name to not be attached with scandal or stigma, but in generation beyond, it was attached with legacy. And that's what they prayed for this family as well. And my goodness, next week, when we get to the end of Ruth, we'll see just how amazing the legacy of Boaz and Ruth's family would truly, truly be. But here's the point. Boaz's redemption not only brought Ruth and Naomi out of their suffering, it propelled them into the blessing of grace that was beyond what they could have imagined. And in the same way, the gospel has done that for you. You've not just been saved out of something, you've been saved to something. You've been saved out of the suffering of our sin, out of the curse of sin, out of the punishment of eternal death, but you've been saved into and redeemed into the promise of eternal life and the blessing of abundant life now. Friends, you're not too far gone. You're not hopeless. But so many of us who are in Christ can forget this. How many mirrors do you have in your car? Well, me and my wife are a different height, so when we go in and go out, I usually first thing have to like adjust the mirror in front of me here so that I can look out the back window, and then I gotta turn to the left and adjust the side mirror, and then, so there's three, I guess, right? And we need three mirrors when we're driving because we have blind spots. And if we're just focused on what's ahead of us and not looking to what's around us, we could easily crash and run into something. And in the same way, Christians can be so focused on the thing that's in front of us um, that, that they become so nearsighted that they're blind to the blessings of the gospel. And maybe that's happened to you. Maybe because of your failures or because of your family loss or because of your disability or your fears or your doubts or your anxieties or your trials, your insecurities. Maybe you've, maybe you've just forgotten about how rich of the blessing that you have in Christ. And that's why you feel far from God. Maybe you just don't know what it is. I want to encourage you. Just as there were four blessings for Ruth and Naomi, or excuse me, Ruth and Boaz, I want to show you four blessings that we have 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ that I hope will open your eyes, extend them beyond your current circumstances so that you would be able to know that you are not too far from God, so that you would be able to have hope through Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about many different blessings, and I want to highlight four from Ephesians chapter 1. You can turn your Bible there with me now. And I love how Ephesians chapter 1, the, the dialogue starts in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many spiritual blessings do I have? Uh, every spiritual blessing. Uh, where are they? You have spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. This is not some like, I don't know, cereal box toy that you've been given when you believe in Jesus Christ. This isn't some like cheap thing that I wanted Dave and Buster's after I paid $50 for a $3 toy. This is not some cheap blessing. This is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I wanted to show you four. We've been lavished in grace with these. Here's the first one. Um, I am redeemed, so I'm forgiven. Verse 7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his tr- our trespasses, according to the riches of our grace. Of his grace. See, your trespasses, your sin, my sin, in God's eyes, is treated like debt. Do any of you Recently, getting as many um, calls from fraudsters as I've been getting on my cell phone. It is ridiculous, the increase of calls that I'm getting from unknown numbers pretending that I owe them some money. Sometimes I just hang up. Sometimes I have a talk with them. (laughs) One gentleman said very not kind words to me. But some people, you know, the reason this happens, even if you get like, I don't know, one out of a thousand for the fraudsters, some of it works because they're actually in ridiculous debt. And they're actually afraid that the CRA is over their shoulder, ready to pounce at any second. And any time the phone rings, even if it's mom, it could be a fraudster, it could be the CRA. Some people think that their debt, even though they believed in Jesus, Some people think that God treats them like that because of their debt. That God's just out to get them, that he's exacting payment. I hope you know the guilt of your sin. But Christian, I hope you know the freedom that you've found in Christ Jesus. You're no longer in the red. In fact, Christ spilt his red blood so that you would be made white as snow. You were ransomed from your sins. Not with perishable things like silver or gold. Silver and gold couldn't pay your debt. No trust fund could pay your debt. No billionaire fortune could pay my debt. The only thing sufficient to fully pay the debt of our sin was the blood of Jesus Christ. And he paid it. Willingly, the Redeemer in that was before Boaz balked when he realized the cost. God knew the only cost to pay for your sin was his only son, but he didn't balk when he knew that this was the payment. He gave his son. Christ gave his life. You're not in the red. You've been clean white as snow. 
You are blessed. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. That's just only one. I have three more. You're chosen and treasured. Look at the text with me, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Chosen to be holy and blameless. In Christ, we are chosen out of the world and set apart. That's what holy means. Set apart to have a relationship with God. And this language, chosen, holy, blameless, rings with the same language of Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. That passage says, For you are a people holy to the Lord God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. I had a stuffed animal growing up from birth. It was a Curious George. Um, I slept with my Curious George until I was like, I don't know, middle school. I'm not afraid to share that. It's not too awkward or embarrassing. But I took that thing everywhere. And I'm sure my parents washed it occasionally, but I don't think it was washed a lot. And I took it everywhere. And then when I got married and had my own kid, we bought my daughter her own stuff a monkey kind of similar to mine, but I asked my wife, I don't sleep with it anymore because I'm 30 years old, but <laughs> can we keep my monkey in our daughter's room? And it's like, yeah, only if you wash it. I was like, it's really special and the washroom might wreck it. And she's like, okay, we'll just wash it by hand. I was like, okay, I wash it by hand. So I got a little tub, filled it with soap, got a little water, started squeezing my little monkey and the color that came out I said, Janny, let's just put it in the washer. <laughs> but I was glad to take care of it. And even when I think about it, like treasured possession, special, took it everywhere, always fond memories. And the fondness that the Father has towards you can't be compared to that. You're not a number on a list. Yeah, your name's written on the book of in the book of life, but you're not just a name on a list. He chose you. Why did he choose? Why did he choose me? We're not stuffed animals that are like the popular one that's trending on Amazon or that puts it on the front rack of Toys R Us. No, we're the one that's kept in the back because it's been recalled because they actually put lead inside of it. No one wants that one. That's what our sin makes us. But still, God chose you. Still, he chose me. You're not a number on a list or just a name in a book. You're beloved. You're redeemed and forgiven. You're chosen. You're treasured. You're also this. You're adopted and loved. Verse 4 and 5 says this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We're adopted. We were born as children of wrath, but now by faith in Jesus, we've been adopted as children of God. Faith in Christ gives you the legal right to call the creator of the universe your loving father. And he loves you. He will give you all that you need. You only need to go to him and ask. He knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are in your head. He knows you, what you do before you sit down, before you stand up, before thoughts are in your head, before words are in your mouth. He knows all of it. He sees all of it and he still loves you. And he disciplines you so that you would grow in maturity. And he's promised he will never leave you or forsake you. What a joy to be of a father in heaven. Fourth blessing we have in the gospel. By faith in Christ. God has predestined me so I have hope. Verse 11. 
In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The Redeemer Boaz stepped in, and Naomi's and Elimelech's family inheritance was secure. They had hope that it would not be taken away from them. And as the Redeemer stepped in to secure the inheritance for Elimelech's family, Christ, our Redeemer, has stepped in and secured us eternal life. Some people cringe when they hear the word predestination in the Bible. All it means is predestined, destined beforehand. What that means is even though Christian, your trajectory of your life might not be going the way that you want to do because you believed in Jesus, you're still on a trajectory of hope. And God's inviting you to turn back to him if you're gone too far from him. And in Christ, you still have hope because he chose you, because he set your destination. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And these are just four. You're not cut off. You're secure in Christ. You're not hopeless. You're blessed in Christ. So are you too far gone? No, never. What God has done before, he can surely do again. He saved such a reckless young adult like St. Augustine and made him into the most, one of the most renowned pastors of all time. Do you know who else he's able to save and redeem? Power-hungry kings like Nebuchadnezzar who all he wanted was power and was fearful of losing it and forced other people to bend the knee to worship an image made of his own likeness. But eventually God made him bow the knee to worship the true God. I can can talk about people who I've been able to counsel and stories I've been able to hear of uh, young men who are just despairing and lost without purpose in life. Young women who are so insecure that they can't eat food anymore I can tell you about pop stars who made billions of dollars selling women as objects as sex in their songs and now are praising Jesus across North America. What he's done before, he can do again. Are you too far gone? No one is beyond the power of God's redemption. Come back to him today. Don't stop praying for your family even though you've lost faith, even though you think you're too far gone, like you can't turn around anymore, he is your father who is waiting with open arms as soon as you would turn back. He will not exact anything more out of you because the payment has been made in Christ. He will put a robe of righteousness that you thought you've forgotten on you and he will celebrate his child coming home. No one is too far gone because of the power of Christ's redemption. Come back today. Would you stand with me as we pray? Thank you, Father, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, I'm asking that you would supply us courage today. Because some of us are afraid. Some of us have been walking this path away from you for so long. And we know we shouldn't be. And we know we should turn back. But we're actually just afraid of, like, I've set up my whole life doing this stuff. I know it's not right. I know it doesn't honor God. But this is life now. And now... I know I need to go back, but am I really going to give up life as I know it? 
Lord God, would you give us the courage to turn back to you, to count everything as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, to pick up our cross as Christ hung on the cross for us. And Father, for us who have family and friends or maybe a small group member who's not at a small group anymore, these people who maybe we've lost hope in them, we've lost hope for them, and we're not praying for them anymore, and we're, we've stopped talking to them because we feel like it just falls on deaf ears, Lord God. God, would you renew faith in us that we would keep praying for our family and our friends who we think are too far gone? And we were, we, would we remember that you saved us? And would we have the faith to keep praying persistently? Thank you, Father, for your redeeming power, for the blessing and security we have in you. Encourage us by this today in Jesus' name. Amen.